Uh, Will Lavise, he's Eric Claville. You tune into Lavise and Claville. We give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So let's get right to it. Today's yeah. show, voting rights, the attack on voting rights. Is this the new Jim Crow? You know, since the November election, um, Republicans lost the White House. They also lost the Senate. And there has been what many are calling an assault on voting rights as state legislators are, are passing bills and gearing up to pass bills that restrict uh, voting rights. And particularly Georgia recently passed a voting restriction bill that uh, President Biden called Un-American and Jim Crow in the 21st century. Uh, Claville, talk about that bill and a lot of what the restrictions are because right now you've got the New Georgia Project and the Black uh, Black Voters Matter has filed a lawsuit challenging the law right. because they say that it violates the uh, 1965 Voting Rights Act Absolutely. and the U.S. Uh, Constitution. The provision that says serve no legitimate purpose other than to make absentee early and election day voting more difficult, especially for minority voters. So what does the bill really do with what are we talking about? Why is it so important? Yeah, well, this is a very important discussion that we're having uh, right now because we understand in this last election in 2020, Republicans across the country lost a lot of uh, seats uh, that represent them nationally in their various states. As a matter Trump of fact, it's not been good. Trump, Trumpism has not been good for a Republican Party in terms of positions. Absolutely not. And if things hold as they are, we know that the country is becoming more black and brown much earlier than 2050, as predicted in the 1990s. We're looking at closer to 2040, 2035. So we're talking 35 years. here. And what we see is if this trend continues, there is absolutely no way the current Republican Party can continue to win a national election. It's just not going to happen. There would not be another uh, Republican president ever if the Republican Party remains in this particular uh, vein in the way that they're going with their ideology and the way that they are campaigning and the like. So instead of changing and appealing to a broader spectrum of voters, right. they simply start to, and I say cheat, they start to restrict the laws. They now, want to change the game. Instead of changing the play, they want to change the game. Right, exactly. But but again, we have seen this over and over again throughout history, whether it be voting rights, whether it be jobs, whether it be, and we're talking about the game, let's talk about coaching, black mm -hmm. coaches in uh, the NFL more specifically. Well, we don't hire black uh, head coaches, owners though, because they haven't had coordinated position mm -hmm. uh, experience. Now they have coordinated position experience. Well, you don't have experience as a coordinator of a winning team. But you have experience of a coordinated Super Bowl winning team. Well, you know, you just didn't fit our culture. You know, so they keep moving the ball, as you say, changing the game. But as it relates to voting rights, we see that the law that was filed were actually signed into law by um, Governor Kemp is a sweeping change mm -hmm. in restricting voting access by restricting the use of drop-off boxes, uh, ballot boxes, uh, setting photo and ID requirements for absentee right. voters, also tightening voting rules uh, as it relates to allowing um, uh, mail-in ballots 
and giving the Republican legislature more control over voting policy procedures and laws. I mean, and the law gets so it goes so petty that it even gets into uh, making it illegal to hand out food and water to people standing online. Absolutely. Waiting to vote. I mean, that's that's how deep and petty it gets. It's extremely petty. And the reason why they saw this is because, you know, African-Americans were coming out and voting in such large numbers. And because of the restrictions uh, with COVID, coupled with the lack of access or areas to vote, they made it, quote unquote, illegal. Well, we're not going to give this this uh, 75-year-old mother, you know, a bottle of water because she should have brought her own. Uh, we're not going to allow them to, ha- we're not going to supply chairs, all right, we, if you pass out because it's so hot. Again, very petty, and it's only intended, it's only intent is to make it harder for lawful Georgia voters to participate in elections, period. You know, you mentioned you mentioned voter turnout. I wanted to give some stats to support, you know, your point. This is according to Pew. Americans voted in record numbers in last year's presidential election, casting nearly 158.4 million ballots. That works out to more than six in 10 people of voting age and nearly two thirds of estimated eligible voters uh, uh, voted in the election. I mean, that's six out of 10 people. I mean, that's 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 high voter turnout because of the competition, because of Trumpism and people being riled up and people being alert and, and essentially being woke that voting is important and that this election is important. So to your point, if we continue to vote and that's saying six out of 10, that means we can still get higher. There can easily be voting. Why can't voting be eight out of 10? Why can't it be nine out of 10 eligible voters? So there's still higher levels to go to. So this is supporting, you know, what you're saying and why there are cases being filed against this voters restriction, because they're trying to just play the game. It's like, you know, we can't win. So let's reduce the possibility of people getting out there to vote. Well, you hit the nail on the head. Again, I believe when more people participate in the democratic process, that's good for America, because now you have more say-so of policies and people representing you. Uh, from the broader spectrum of the country, which means there's more consensus in what those individuals do and what how those laws are created. But the, in Georgia, this particular law will disproportionately impact African-American voters and also young, poor, and disabled voters, period. I mean, this is, this is aimed directly at the heart of this, this, this democratic movement, right? There's more inclusive movement of allowing voters, people to vote and voice their opinion. Now, I'm not talking about inclusive as of policies that individuals don't agree with. That's left up to the voting process. That's left up to the legislative process. That's left up to the process of how we create our laws, right? But I'm talking about allowing people in to actually vote and cast their vote. But let me go a step further, okay? So right after (laughs) the election of 2020, Immediately after, you have voting laws proposed by Republicans after the election in 43 states. 43. Access to the 43 or 50. 43 states. Yeah. 
43. Now we only have 50, right? And yes, Alaska and Hawaii is a state uh, for those that were questioning former President Obama's <laughs> legal status as a citizen. <laughs> but it is a state. But in 43 states, and they pre-filed or proposed at least 250 new laws. So now you have GOP uh, lawmakers or Republican lawmakers, including Pennsylvania, who's also introduced laws to curb the record turnout in 2020, again, by just a major assault upon the ballot box. Now, keep in mind that, you know, I don't think that there's been a challenge that's been filed. Uh, it's a 35-page complaint filed in federal court in Atlanta. They have alleged that this law uh, will especially... Uh, uh, this new legislation will suppress votes, as you mentioned, in violation of the Constitution protections uh, and the 1965 Voting Rights Act. I think one of the major problems that we're going to have moving forward that we have to correct is the issue of preclearance. We have to, and that was the Holder case, we have to, Shelby County versus Holder, we have to go back and review preclearance. Explain explain a little bit in detail what you know what preclearance is about for people who don't understand. Sure. So when the 1965 Voting Rights Act was created, the provision of preclearance was placed in that. Preclearance basically provided had a provision where states that had historically uh, had what we call Jim Crow era laws or suppressed mm-hmm. the votes of African Americans had to first they could pass whatever law they want but they had to first then submit it to the U.S. Department of Justice uh, Civil Rights Office where they review their plans to change their voting uh, uh, laws or even their lines in which they created to change or configure uh, voting districts to ensure that it was in line with the Constitution. The federal law. So it had to pass the smell test that it wasn't discriminatory. Absolutely. And, and we stopped a lot a lot of uh, procedures and laws that would have damaged uh, the opportunity for communities to elect uh, the candidate of choice. So if we can go back to that, that's going to help us tremendously. But the the, the other issue that, that we're looking at is, keep in mind, Georgia was at, at the forefront with their secretary of state, where the president, former President Trump, <laughs> was trying to bully them to find 10 or 11,000 extra votes. I mean, voter right. fraud at his highest, right? On tape, and, and as a matter of fact, he was harassing him so much that the Secretary of State, who's also a Republican, actually called for the his attorney, their attorney, to be there while the president was talking. Right. Because what was happening was illegal. He was protecting himself. So while the attorney was there, the president was still forcing him, hey, I just need 11,000 ballots. Y'all find me something. You know, because again, <laughs> we're lying, but I need you to help me with this lie. Right. Yeah, go into the bed somewhere. Go into, you know, go into the trunk somewhere. Find me some votes. So here we got. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Well, I want to bring this point home. Drive it home. So, but the Secretary of State said on television, there is no fraud. Right. We had this record number of turnout ballot of voters, record number of new ways of access to the ballot, ballot drop-off box because of COVID-19. Uh, we opened up more police stations. We had the stadium. Uh, the sports stadiums open up in Atlanta. We had mail-in voting, uh, which was slowed down intentionally by the joy of Pres- uh, President right. Trump uh, appointee. But with all of that, there was no fraud found in Georgia election. 
He said that multiple times, press conference, and a plea from the Georgia election uh, 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 officials asking people, please stop this lie because our staff, state workers, are being put at risk. People are following them home. People are harassing him. And he said, y'all stop because somebody's going to get killed. Go back and look it up. It's there. So if there's no fraud, if there's no laws broken, then why the restriction on voting laws? So that's, and that's the key question. So you've got the election, this past election in 2020, 7% higher than the previous national election of 2016. So you've got this high heightened interest among Americans are coming out to vote, which is something that we need because right. quite frankly, with low voter turnouts being in the 25 to 28% uh, nationally and, and in many local elections being even lower, yep. it's like we're, we're not taking voting seriously. So now as a nation, we are clearly starting to take voting seriously, trending upward in terms of participation. And then you're going to have more laws put into place to restrict people's ability to get out and vote. Now, to be fair, the Republicans and, and those who are putting these laws in place are saying, no, they're not restrictive. No, it's not about trying to stop people from voting. It's about making sure that the right people who are legal should be voting are able to vote. But What do you say to that? That, that makes no sense. I mean, you literally just outlined the pettiness of some of these restrictions. Mm-hmm. You can't hand out food or water. I mean, is that going to, how is that making sure that the white people vote? And again, if your argument, if your evidence to the false uh, accusations of voter fraud was that there was no voter fraud, then why are these laws needed? <laughs> again, you actually destroy your own rationale with your last rationale, which was true, that there was no fraud. So again, we'll, again, it's, it's one of those things where when the ruling majority loses, start to see they're losing their power, they pull out all the stops in order to limit the um, limit individuals trying to encroach upon their quote unquote power that they have. Listen, power is never given, it's always taken. And this fight for voting rights is a fight that we had. Now, keep in mind, we're, this is for 2024, right, these laws. But really, we had this fight back in 1964, 1954. Let's go back and take a look at the voting restrictions that we had in 1954. Yeah, connect those dots, because I think a lot of times we either forget that there's a, there's a history here or we think that these things are new. And... A lot of times that is actually the 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 thing that those who would restrict laws or restrict liberties are banking on. And we'll forget that there's no real dot, there's no real lineage, there's no real history here, that this is not something that we faced before. So yeah, connect those dots to help people to see the connection between, you know, now and back when the Voting Rights Act was enacted in the first place. Yeah. So Number one, you had what's called literacy tests, mm-hmm. where you had to be able to read uh, or write uh, the Constitution or a provision in which that voting, that that district made. And all of these were not placed upon every citizen. They were only mm-hmm. placed upon Black citizens. 
Because again, black citizens were now given the right to vote. Uh, secondly, you had what's called a poll tax. You had to pay a certain amount of money in order to vote. Now we know that if you were a sharecropper uh, and you don't have uh, money to pass down to your family, this is not the case. There's no way that you could pay that tax. So therefore you didn't vote. You also had the ridiculous, guess how many jelly beans in a jar? Mm. You know, there are people who had to guess how many jelly beans, and guess what? Nobody guessed the right number because there was no right number. Then you had to take a, take a test on the Constitution itself. And even mm. when you passed the test, you know, you still were uh, being, your, your, your rights were being violated because, oh, we're closed now. You got to come back at this time period. Or you're being ignored at the clerk's office. And then uh, the grandfather clause. If your grandfather can vote, then you can vote. Right. Well, guess what? You stop now at least two generations, the gener your generation, the generation of your children, right? And then you, um, and, and, and until they actually have children, right? Because now you have two generations that can't vote. Only the third generation may be able to vote because maybe by that time you'll catch up where somebody's grandfather was able to vote in that family. So again, these are all restrictive. Also restricting voting places places to vote. We saw this in North Carolina uh, mm. during the 2016 election where there were immediately after the Holder case, they restricted and cut out, I think about 15 polling areas in uh, that, that county of North Carolina, right? And then you only have one place to go vote. So if you can't catch a ride, if it's, over, imagine taking away 15 places to vote and you have one left. Imagine the number of people that will converge on that one location. Right. And then imagine the amount of water and food that's needed in chairs because people are waiting in line. Right. You know, well, I give a personal story. I was actually uh, participating as a voter protection uh, attorney for uh, one of the uh, elections during the, during the Obama term. And I, I, one of the polling stations I was at, which was frequented by African-Americans, uh, and it was a public uh, location, mm -hmm. they had voting machines that were available but they were only letting people vote in one voting machine. Wow. Said, Listen, open this thing up. Let these people in. You had people waiting in line for, for excessive time. And most of them were students from HBCUs uh, in, in, in the area and also other African-Americans that lived in the area that had to get to work, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they got out of line. Some had to leave. Some had to come back and the like. But, but when again, it's these challenges. And the, and the excuse that was given by the older white uh, female that was there and the older white male that was there were the poll watchers in that precinct right. uh, for an African-American area was that, oh, we, we almost lost it last time. We almost lost control. And I'm speaking of when, what, what are you talking about? You know, but we opened those polls, we opened up those voting machines after I, when I was there and they stayed open. Wow. But again, I saw it firsthand, it happens. Uh, we saw this in 1954. We saw it prior to 1964 and prior to the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So again, to your point, just these examples, Will, of what took place during that time period and immediately after the uh, Holder case uh, with the restrictions in which the courts have stated that the laws that were uh, submitted, the Fourth Circuit stated it was surgical precision, surgical precision to limit the African-American vote in that community. That, and that one that one polling state, state station thing kind of reminds me of being in a black community, being in a, a department store in a black community, a long line, yeah. but you only got one person at the checkout counter. 
you know, that's the kind of thing that goes on. You know, the, the other point of this is that, ironically, I see a silver lining in much of this because one of the things that we found in the community, and I can remember even coming up as a kid hearing this thing about, you know, your vote doesn't count. Uh, City Hall, they don't care about you. It doesn't matter. And when you see these two things happening, all of these efforts going on to restrict voting clearly is showing that the power of the ballot absolutely matters. I mean, why would people go to these extents to change the laws as they're looking at what's going on in their communities, what's going on in terms of population shifts and changes and demographics? Why would they go to such lengths? Clearly, your vote absolutely still matters. And unless we have a situation like what we're facing now, where it's in the national news, people are seeing real examples like you just described in front of their face, unless it's really, really, truly real to people, then we as Americans, we do take that vote, the power of the ballot for granted. And so the silver lining that I see is that people are woke, people are paying attention People are recognizing, wait a minute, my vote absolutely does matter. I mean, I voted in this past election out of Philadelphia. And one of the reasons why I did a mail-in vote, and I did it early, was because of realizing, no, my vote matters, and I've got to get this thing in early so that you don't run into and I, it doesn't get caught up in the mess and, and get thrown out in the, in, in the confusion that we know is going to come on election day. So it's just interesting how something like mail-in voting in the past was seen as maybe less effective, less secure. And actually, in this past election, that was the emphasis. is like, no, mail that vote in and Absolutely. do it early. So it's just interesting that we're in this era now where some of the paradigms, some of the ways of thinking that we may have had about voting, about what matters, what doesn't matter, what's more effective, what's less effective, are changing. And and the big message that's coming across, unless you're just asleep and not paying attention, the big message that is coming across in all of this is that your vote absolutely does matter. And you got to fight to protect that vote. That's right. You know, we talk about ballot boxes. Uh, and allowing persons to drop their ballots there. I mean, this has worked with our letter drops for the post office for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. I think you can easily place a ballot drop box next to every, uh, or strategically, at the more active right. uh, mail letter drop boxes, you know, and have it locked and padded until election time. And you right. place it in there. Or place it in the same mailbox as you do your letters. Right. And it just simply gets sorted. So, Again, this can happen. I, th- I think that, it again, it is an issue with simply uh, limiting and suppressing votes. And I think the court's going to see this. Uh, we do have history where the court has struck down. Like I said, the, the Supreme Court basically declined to reinstate North Carolina's strict ID voter law. Uh, th- that was intentional right. and designed to stop African-Americans from voting. And this was in 2017. So we see, uh, once again, Georgia's trying to do the same thing. So I believe that the 
uh, from the court perspective, uh, legal perspective, I believe that these challenges will uh, be upheld against these very strict laws. Uh, and I believe the Supreme Court will strike, strike it down. I believe the Supreme Court is still at a point where you do have individuals on the court. And I know that uh, former President Trump thought it would be a little different. There'll be loyal to him, but they mm -hmm. are loyal to the Constitution. Right. Uh, I, I believe you're looking at maybe a 6-3, 5-4 at the least, uh, in favor of striking down these restrictive voting laws. Um, now, one area that they may not strike down is uh, allowing the state legislature more control over those uh, voting laws. Because again, every state is given the right to uh, hold procedures and hold elections and for their state, but they have to be congruent uh, and in line with the Constitution and the various acts of federal law, such as the Voting Rights Act. So I, I, I think that may be upheld, but I think all these others will probably be struck down. Well, I also want to talk about very quickly what happens when we protest against these. Now, we know that in Georgia, uh, Representative Cannon uh, was just recently arrested when she was knocking on the door, mm -hmm. protesting the signing of this restrictive law. And uh, she was arrested and charged with two felonies. After, two felons. Two felons after identifying herself as a state legislature. Now, it's only it's not that many uh, uh, black legislators in the Georgia legislature. Uh, it's not that many black legislators across the country. So you tend to know who they are, and especially when you have credentials that uh, enter certain parts of the building. But she was escorted out uh, by police uh, and charged with two felons of obstructing. One was obstructing. Uh, legislative session. Now, when have we heard about obstructing a legislative session before? That sounds real familiar. It sounds real familiar. January 6th. <laughs> January 6th. You had about 10,000 people obstruct a democratic session of a lawful democratic process of certifying the vote. And there, there, there's a photo here that I found on comparing the two. Um, and I want to show this. Uh, this is what happens when you're knocking while black, <laughs> knocking while black protesting the signing of a law restricting voting, and you're knocking while white while protesting a lawful democratic process that's going on for over 200 years. And, uh, and, they, and then, you, then you get hit with two, quickly get hit with two felony counts. But in the other picture, you know, there's, there's a, a whole lot of investigation, a whole lot of trying to figure out and find out what, what people should be charged with and whether or not it's an insurrection. But it just begs a differ. You just see the disparity and you see, you got to wonder why are we going to such lengths to restrict people's ability to vote? Clearly that vote matters. Clearly Absolutely. that vote has meaning. Clearly that vote has impact. And I think one of the things that people have to recognize is Hey, your your state and local government obviously is going to have much more impact on your daily life. So you absolutely got to be engaged in your state and local uh, government and what it's doing because they affect your local taxes, they affect absolutely. your school boards, all these kinds of things, your police, all these kinds of things that really are close to where you live. But there's also a dot that has to be connected to the federal level. So at the legislative level, they have the ability to do restrict redistricting. 
and to determine which representatives from what areas of your state Absolutely. go to the uh, federal government, go to the Absolutely. House of Representatives. You know, so this is how we start to see the relationship between your local federal government and how it impacts our lives. So all of these elections matter. So it's not just, you know, the, it's coming out and voting for the president as if the president is going to be the say all and be all of everything concerning your life. But it's understanding how the state and local governments intersect with the federal government and how that impacts your life. So right now, you're saying these laws have to go before the Supreme Court, which the president has the ability to nominate who's, who goes on the Supreme Court. Well, I'm not saying it has to go before the Supreme Court. It has to, it's a federal court district. It'll go, it'll definitely go to the appellate level and it may go to the Supreme Court. But go right, ahead. but I'm just showing, right. So it may go to the Supreme Court, but the point I was trying to make is how the president has influence on who ends up on the Supreme Court. Absolutely. And then in, and in many states, right, there's influence coming out of these states on who sits on the state benches Absolutely. that ends up sitting on these federal benches. Absolutely. So you've got to be able to see how these things intersect and how your vote matters. It absolutely matters because they all they all intersect. And, and if you're not awoke and paying attention to it, you're going to miss it totally. Absolutely. And Will, I'm, I'm so glad you made that connection, you know, for, for our listeners, because it, it does, you know, you don't become a Supreme Court justice just overnight. You go <laughs> through the process, right? Not at all. Not at all. You know, all these individuals go to law school. All these individuals uh, work and have partnerships uh, with either the federal government or private uh, law firms. All of them go through the ranks of being appointed on the state level and then eventually appointed on the federal level and then make it to the Supreme Court. Uh, the Republicans are very good at doing this. They're very good at vetting uh, these individuals because their, their vision is a 50, 100 year focus on the courts. Mm -hmm. And we saw Mitch McConnell uh, orchestrate that effectively and masterfully. Now say what you want about him, uh, but according, based on him skirting the rules and having the vision to influence the court with a conservative majority really for the next 40 years, uh, I think that's the case study. That's the case study for uh, uh, political scientists for the you know for, for definitely the next uh, next next twenty five years. Right. But but again, I want to look at a compact com compare and contrast. Look what Georgia did to restrict voting. But I don't want to forget about Virginia, the Mid South state. What happened in Virginia? That literally the the governor is about to sign legislation not restricting voting. But in but making voting, protecting voting rights and expanding voting and access into individuals in order to vote the candidate of their choice. Several of these uh, provisions is eliminating at large districts. We know that mm -hmm. at large districts or if you go back and look at the uh, legal challenges to uh, the under the 1964 1965 Voting Rights Act, a lot of those cases were challenging at large districts. That means that if you're in a city of 60% that's, that's uh, non-African-American, 40% African-American, if you put up a city council of five city councilmen and the mayor who's elected all at large, then, of course, the 60% is going to outweigh the 40% all the time. 
So therefore, yeah. you still get, you know, five white candidates running city government and the like. Right. And they implemented what's called a ward system. Uh, the city of Norfolk uh, had a very similar case, I believe, in the 1980s that challenged their at-large system and won under that provision. And there was a case that was filed uh, for the city of Virginia Beach, which is, again, the largest city uh, in this area in, in that particular state challenging that. But the law that's going to be signed by the end of this month by the governor of Virginia is going to eliminate all at-large districts across the state wow, and allow only for war districts where you can vote the candidate of your choice so you have more representation on, in, in as you mentioned, Will, in those city uh, uh, elections, those state elections. And then secondly, what it also does, it eliminates mid-year elections in June and March, in May. Mm -hmm. And all elections now on the state level, school mm -hmm. board, city council, state elections are all now in November. And why is that important? Because voter suppression also happens when you have the election. So right. most people are not thinking about, oh, I got to go to the polls and vote in June. Most, right. most people are trying to get their kids out of school, vacation, and the like. So now November is the election day for all state elections here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, including the federal elections. So when you look at compare and contrasting, what happens when you have a Democratic-led legislature with a Democratic governor and a Republican-led legislature and a Republican governor in, a, in southern states, you see the difference. So what should Black people do to... Um create a situation where we got to expand it, voting rights. Because again, for us in the history in this nation, we as a people have been at the forefront of the suppression and the fighting against the, the uh, oppression and restriction of voting rights. What we sh should we be doing? I know absolutely we all should be convinced at this point that our individual, our yes, our individual vote absolutely matters. Well, absolutely. what do you see folks should, should do? Well, as it relates to voting rights, I believe that as a people and as a nation, we've come extremely far. I believe that we have made advances uh, in eliminating restrictions and barriers to allow individuals right. of our country, citizens, right. to exercise their constitutional right to vote. What we've also seen have been attacks on our system, whether it be by misinformation or as we see by laws restricting places to vote and creating restrictive procedures in order to stop or intimidate people from voting. What we as African-Americans and our nation have to do, we have to continue to stay vigilant, we have to continue to stay informed, and we have to continue to stay active to protect the greatest tool in our democracy. And as the great John Lewis stated, our greatest nonviolent weapon in our democracy, and that is the ability to cast our vote for the candidate of our choice, for the policies that we see for our nation moving forward and continuing to be the beacon of light for this world in Amen. these United States of America. Amen, brother. So again, we thank you so much for joining us for this very important discussion on voting rights. Um, again, it's a great right that we have and we've got to protect it. Join us next time and follow us on Facebook. Like and share there on our social media, on Twitter, Instagram. And also, you can email us if you have a question at lavisancleville at gmail.com. Until next time, 
at Lavisa and Cavell, that's the way it is. See you then.